Welcome to Anxiety and the Artist, the podcast that explores artists' relationship with anxiety. My guest today is success and strategic mindset coach Karen Elliott. Karen is also a professional actress and singer. She's performed on Broadway and on national tours, and she recently finished the national tour of Hello, Dolly! with Carolee Carmelo. Karen has a master's degree in vocal performance from the Juilliard School and a bachelor's of music degree from Johns Hopkins Peabody Conservatory. She has multiple certifications in neurolinguistic programming, hypnosis, coaching, and a variety of other mental skills modalities. I met Karen in an audition class over 20 years ago, where I was first introduced to her hilarious interpretation of Madame Tenadier in Les Miserables, a role she eventually played on Broadway. Karen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Allison. I have to say, I'm super impressed that you were able to get all of that out. <laughs> so you're a success and strategic mindset coach. What is that? That's a great question, Allison. <laughs> so my goal at all times is to help my clients achieve their goals. So to that end, I'm a success coach. Uh, I would like to see them succeed. And a strategic mindset coach actually goes hand in hand with success coach because it is really our mindset that guides so much of what we're able to accomplish. That's a very oversimplified way of putting it. But basically, I am the person you come to when you have obstacles you want to overcome. There are things that are standing between you and achieving what you would like to achieve. Fantastic. How did you get into that type of work? Well, I think we can go all the way back to when I was in high school. Um, I had a very serious car accident when I was in high school. I was hit by a drunk driver and the result of that was a lot of bodily injury that left me uh, in a state where I was told I would never see again, I would never walk again. And I had to deal with that. And from that came a great deal of post-traumatic stress disorder. At that time, they didn't call it that. They just said I was freaking out or I had a lot of anxiety. (laughs) But fortunately, we had a family friend who was doing a lot of great research into utilizing things like biofeedback and meditation and how that might really help somebody who'd been in a traumatic situation. So she was my first sort of entree into the world of all kinds of things that to that up to that time hadn't really been used a great deal to help people overcome not just physical injury, but the emotional injury that can come from a very traumatic event. So she was sort of my entree into that world. Uh, I decided that it would be a good idea for me to take on a, a very competitive education <laughs> and become uh, a singer, a musician and an actor and go to conservatory and, those are incredibly stressful environments as well. So I was able to use what she taught me and then build on that with other modalities that I came in touch with over the years. And I took from that, that as I learned more, I could make greater and more effective changes in my own life. Okay. And what kind of modalities were those? 
wow, they were everything from meditation, um, hypnosis, as I said, biofeedback. I did body work that dealt specifically with trigger points where emotional things would come up for me. Now, that time I didn't really know how to deal with those things, but along the way, I was able to find other conscious life modalities that really helped me. I started working with my language patterning. What kind of language was I using surrounding my my work at school or my relationships with other people? I realized pretty early on that I had a bent toward negative language, uh, language that was self-destructive. Some people even talk about it like, oh, there are these tapes that play in your head that are, that are success-orientated or they're um, destructive. And so I dive deep into correcting that for myself and figuring out ways that I could do that. At the time I was doing it, there really wasn't a lot written about it. About 10 years ago, uh, we heard about this thing called the law of attraction and the secret. Do you remember those? Oh, those yes. That came up? I, yeah. I remember that well. <laughs> right. And, and then there was this uh, movie called What the Bleep. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, I had a friend turn me on to those things and, and I read them and I, I watched the movie and uh, there were some very interesting ideas that I took from that. And then there were some things that I thought were less helpful, like the magical thinking part. I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that we can just say anything and we're going to manifest it. That doesn't work for me. And I I don't see that helping my clients either. Right. Uh, Michael Kostroff actually talks about the law of attraction in his audition class and says that if there are 13 of you up for a role and each one of you says to yourself beforehand, I'm going to go into that audition and I'm going to book that role right now because I'm using the law of attraction. Well, 12 of you have just failed at using the law of attraction because 12 of you didn't get get that part. So I, I, I agree with the magical thinking aspect sure. that it, that's not... Michael and I have talked about this at great length. We have. <laughs> um, we're, we're really great friends. And uh, we share a lot of the same idea about that. And in some places we disagree. So the law of attraction, the secret, in my opinion, makes some very valid points. One of them that I use a lot in my coaching practice is the idea that what we focus on, we get. And I think that's Agreed. really the key to understanding how and why the law of attraction works. For example, if we're focusing on the positive, we're driving ourselves toward a positive. If we're focusing on a negative, we're driving ourselves toward a negative. I used to ice skate. And when I would take a a figure skating class, my coach would always say, you have to look into the turn. If you look out of the turn, when you try to turn or try to jump, you're going to fall flat on your face. You need to put your focus where you're going. And that's really where the law of attraction works. 
Agreed. Agreed. Um, so one of the things, one of the modalities that you mentioned was hypnosis. And I have this, my, my association with the hypnosis is the I Love Lucy episode where Orson Welles dangles a watch in front of Lucy and then causes her to do a bunch of crazy things. So for those of us who might not be as familiar with hypnosis or have that image in our head, could you clarify what hypnosis is and how you use it to, um, as a form of therapy? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So there are a couple of things to clear up here. Um, first of all, because I'm not a therapist and I'm not a, a licensed medical professional, I don't use hypnosis as therapy. I use hypnosis as a tool. Very could be a very subtle, but an important distinction. And one of the reasons is that in a lot of states, the medical lobbies own certain words. In New York state, the medical lobby owns the word therapy. It owns the word anxiety. It owns the word stress. It actually owns the idea of breathing exercises as something that re- that reduces stress. So those folks who are in the coaching field can't use those to our terms, or we're not supposed to use those terms to describe what we do. So I, I think it's super important to make that clear. And I do that with my clients to let them know, look, I understand you're using this word anxiety with me. And you and I are going to have to have this agreement that it's a jargon word. It's a, it's a, it's a word we're going to agree that we're using in a non-therapeutic way. Uh, so hypnosis, I use as a tool. And it's a great tool. But it, the way I use it, I will never make you cluck like a chicken. <laughs> I will never make you do things you don't want to do. <laughs> I, I don't use a, a watch to dangle in front of your face. I promise I don't do the, any of those things. <laughs> And, you know, hypnosis gets like this bad rap a lot of times. And sometimes it's because of these folks who do um, entertainment based hypnosis. That's a whole thing unto itself and, and probably an entirely different podcast to talk about how all that I had happened. no idea that there were different types of hypnosis. This, there, that's so crazy. I know. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> I like to stay in my lane. Like I'm not. Right. I, <laughs> I can, I'm an actor. I'm a singer. I can do all kinds of things. I don't juggle and I don't do stage hypnosis. <laughs> so the the way I use hypnosis is, is, is in the most ethical way I possibly can. Um, hypnosis in and of itself is really a lowered brainwave state. So I'm intentionally helping my client lower their brainwave state and I'm creating an environment that helps them become uh, relaxed and capable of accepting suggestion. And those suggestions that I give to them are based on a conversation that we have before we even start the process. And I know what their goals are. I understand their learning modalities. I understand what their triggers are and uh, things that help them proceed on a path of success. Everything I do in a hypnosis session is really in the client's best interest. And it's in alignment with their sense of integrity and their sense of their moral self. And 
I am responsible for the safety of my client under those circumstances. So that's why I say it's highly ethical. There is nothing I'm doing that, uh, nothing I'm suggesting to them that would be outside of their personal boundaries. So could one say that hypnosis is similar to meditation in that respect? That is a great question. So there are different kinds of ways that we receive uh, suggestion. There can be a conscious mind suggestion. Some of us call that affirmation. Maybe you've seen people like write something down on a piece of paper. They'll stick it to their computer so that they know that every day they look at it 10, 20, 100 times a day. And it reminds them um, of whatever that is that they want to be reminded of. That's affirmation. We do that in our conscious mind, our fully awakened mind. And then there's meditation. Meditation is a way that we can ourselves lower our brainwave state. And we can do that and sit in a sense of peace, a, a sense of harmony. We do breath work perhaps in our meditation. Meditation In meditation, we may give ourselves a suggestion, but it's not a constant situation. The idea is we give ourselves a suggestion or something to meditate on, a mantra, but we are staying still inside of our our bodies and lowering our own brainwave state. Hypnosis is a little bit different. Hypnosis, you have somebody like me who's guiding from the outside, who's skilled and understands what to watch for and knows how to help somebody go into what's called a trance state, uh, not like zombie trances. <laughs> Let's be very clear. It has nothing to do with that, <laughs> but it is a, a very relaxed state where a person is receptive to receiving suggestion. And as I said before, at that point, I will take the client through uh, a, an exercise or I will speak to the client and give them suggestion in the way that I know how to do so. And that is a progressive situation. It's different than a meditation. But those are the three ways that I think people most identify with how we can receive a suggestion. Okay. Can you talk about the difference between the work that you do and the work that a therapist does? I know you touched on that a little bit already, but I just want to clarify for anybody that might be listening, like when should they see you and when should they see a therapist? As a coach, a success coach, a strategic mindset coach, my goal is to help my clients achieve their idea of success, to delineate what their goals are, and to work toward it. And in the process, break down whatever barriers they have between now and the achievement. I do not treat, I do not assess mental illness. I do not do anything at all that is related to somebody's uh, medically diagnosed illnesses. That's what therapists do. I don't have training in that. I don't accept insurance. And I respect the work that they do in that realm. But I don't deal with that. If I have a client that is presenting with things that are well known to be indicators of having 
a medical challenge, I will encourage them to seek help. But I do not do any work at all that will that would cross over into therapy. Gotcha. So let's say that I am a musician and I am experiencing performance anxiety. How could some of the techniques that you use be used for that? There are so many different ways. I think the first thing we have to do is figure out how that anxiety, that performance anxiety is showing up for you. And it could be showing up, let's say at an audition, that you're waiting to present perhaps, you know, as a musician or as a symphonic musician, you might have to be standing backstage and doing, and then preparing to go behind a screen to do a blind audition. And, uh, at that moment, perhaps you're starting to feel tension rising in your body. You might be having a physical biological reaction where you're feeling heat or cold or shaking, anything that could be a biological reaction. And then you start to worry. And maybe you're thinking, don't screw up that run. Don't screw up that run. Don't screw up that run. Uh, And then you're going out and trying to do your audition and you're finding that your biological reaction and your personal self-talk get in the way of you achieving what you want to achieve in an audition. And that's just, you know, one idea of how it might show up for a person. So at that point, what I might do with a, with that musician is say, okay, let's get to the root of what's happening. Where does it start for you? Where do you start to feel the biological reaction? Is there some commonality that makes that happen? We might talk about the self-talk. Well, we definitely would talk about the self-talk because self-talk is so big in how we as artists move in the world and keep ourselves in a, in a pliable react, uh, reactive state. Like we're ready to, to collaborate with people. You know, we, we really need to be in a positive mindset to be able to do that. So perhaps I would talk to this musician and ask, well, what are those things you're thinking? What do you say to yourself while you're standing off stage waiting to go on? And we find out that the musician is saying to themselves, don't screw up that run. Don't screw up that run. Don't screw up that run. Well, like that thing we were talking about before with the law of attraction. Yep. That another, there's this other little weird thing about humans. <laughs> <laughs> we don't hear don't. Our subconscious minds don't absorb don't. It hears that statement as the thing we should focus on, as the affirmative action we need to take. So by example, don't screw up that run turns into screw up that run, screw up that run, screw up that run, because we're focusing on screwing up that run. Right. Right. The brain can't receive the negative. And so it needs to be told the positive. We have to tell ourselves the positive. And so it's not always as simple as finding out what the opposite of don't screw up the run is. Sometimes that's not vibrant enough for the client. That's why I work with each individual person in a way that helps find what's unique to them and what really resonates for them. And from that point, 
we can have them try that out and see what the result is. And we start to put together a process where the client can go into any environment, notice that they're doing a little bit of self-sabotage and then turn it around for themselves. My biggest goal is to get people to graduate from me. You know, I, right. <laughs> I don't want people to have to come to me forever. Right. Uh, well, and you're, it sounds like you're saying there's not, this is not some formula that gets applied. It's a very personal thing that you figure out with your client as you go along. So the work I do isn't just about me giving you tools that are going to work in the moment. I want to give you tools that are going to work for you later when you're not with me or five years from now that you can pull something out of that toolbox we built and say, oh yeah, I remember how to use that. Coming up, the poverty mindset and adapting to change. You and I had previously talked about the poverty mindset. Can you chat a little bit about what that is and how it applies to artists? Sure. Well, the poverty mindset can be something that is such a saboteur for artists. Well, for anybody, really. Basically, it's whenever we operate from a belief in scarcity, any kind of scarcity, we can be said to be operating from a poverty mindset and it can show up in a whole bunch of different ways. Maybe it's money. Money's a big one now that we're going through the the pandemic, especially for artists. And we don't know necessarily what's going to happen in in our future in our near or far future. Uh, Poverty mindset can show up when we talk about relationships and love or opportunities, casting or uh, job opportunities, um, a skill set. That's also a big one. Well, I'm hitting all the big ones for artists. <laughs> Skill set being like, oh, am I good enough? Not good enough? Imposter syndrome lives inside of the poverty mindset. Um, housing, that can be a big one too for artists. Everything related to auditions. Heck, you can apply the poverty mindset to just about anything. And it'll often show up as anger or jealousy, uh, excessive, extreme, or repetitive worry anxiety, fear, hoarding, overspending, avoidance, overindulgence, negative, violent, exclusionary language. It can show up in a variety of ways. And sometimes it is difficult to discern between having an emotional experience of something or really figuring out that it goes back to a much deeper issue of the having a mindset that is around scarcity the poverty mindset. Let's say I'm the kind of person who has had who had a good period of their life where they didn't have a lot of money and they got in the habit of saying to themselves, I can't afford that. I can't afford this. I can't do that. I can't afford this. And then an opportunity presents itself and the initial reaction, they immediately count themselves out in that initial reaction. Would that um, adequately describe the poverty mindset? What's interesting about that is oftentimes what we do think about the poverty mindset off the bat, we think of it as, oh, it relates to money and believing in your own financial poverty. Yes and no. So there's a bigger picture to the poverty mindset, but we'll take this example uh, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. Okay. 
So belief in scarcity, yes, that example has a belief in scarcity, but is your belief in scarcity or how is that belief in scarcity keeping you back from believing in opportunity, from jumping at opportunity and taking the next steps toward your own personal success or achievement of your goals. So in that case, yes, if that is what the, if that is what's happening to you, it might well be that you're experiencing a level of poverty mindset. And how do we get you out of that? Well, we have to dig deeper and figure out what elements are triggering you. Where is that coming from? And then we need to set in action some skills that are going to turn that around for you so that whenever you have an opportunity pop up, you can see that opportunity and you can be open to it and then jump at it. Interesting. Okay. That's great. A lot of times Um, what'll happen is that if you're living in such a, a belief in scarcity, you won't even notice when an opportunity comes around because you're going to be focusing on what's missing all the time or what you believe is missing all the time. Right, as opposed to what you have. Exactly, and what is available and, available. and what could happen. So we're currently in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, what advice do you have for artists in this time? So many artists across all types of art are feeling a lot of anxiety right now. There's so much up in the air for theater artists and and musicians who are used to playing in places where we have hundreds or thousands of people watching us. We don't even know when we're going to get back to business as usual, or if we will get back to business as usual. What I am telling my clients and my friends and, and my family is stay positive That doesn't mean be Pollyanna about it. But what it does mean is look at the opportunities that are available at this time. If we start to look at this time as full of opportunity to spend time with our families, to have free time to practice, to explore new ways of communicating with other people to sit down and just have a good think to imagine what you might be able to do because all of the rules are changing. The things that we had thought were the way it was going to be forever and ever and ever. We just found out it's not going to be like that forever and ever and ever because none of that exists anymore. (laughs) And we have to move forward. I mean, fortunately we get to move forward in a way that is not resembling an apocalypse movie. We still can, (laughs) we still have our homes for the most part are same and, and we can do the things that we want to do, but we have to change the way we do them. So there's so much opportunity in that. It's tricky. I get it. Sometimes finding that emotional and mental space to imagine beyond our current circumstances can be challenging. But if we can do the work and attend to ourselves, we could really accomplish a lot for the future. Now, for a lot of artists, 
we have to really reevaluate what our goals are, our short-term, our medium-term, our long-term goals. That's not necessarily a bad thing. In a lot of ways, what had existed before really wasn't working that well. So now we have to think, okay, should I really live in New York? Is it really worth it for me to live in New York? Do I really want to be spending my time doing X, Y, Z? Or should I be spending my time doing ABC? We have to shift and change. If our jobs in the theater or film aren't going to be there for a while, of course we have to make money and do something else. So working with a coach can be very valuable for that. It doesn't have to be me. It could be somebody else. But working with somebody who can help you understand how to create goals, how to do so in a shifting environment, in a stressful environment, and attend to yourself, that's going to be the key to success here. I think that artists in general are incredibly adaptable. We're so used to having things thrown at us and having to just change on a dime. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that you hit the nail on the head with that, Allison. We're we are adaptable because we've had to be adaptable. There is not a musician or a, a singer or an actor who's ever performed in a completely static environment. We know what it is to adapt to the tiniest little change in our environment. In some ways, these changes can be overwhelming because of that. However, if you trust in yourself that you know how to adapt that you've done it before hundreds of thousands of times, that can really help you move forward in a positive direction. Right. I feel like we have, we already have the tools and we're almost at somewhat of an advantage because we've had to, to deal with this so much in, in our work. We do. You know? And it's key, it's key for us to remember that we have that advantage. Yeah. And if I bite, I would say one of the best ways that we can do that to give ourselves some some space to continue to remember it is put yourself on a social media and news diet <laughs> right away. If you are yes. feeling overwhelmed, put yourself on a diet. It's okay. Yes, you're going to come back and tomorrow things are going to be different because things are changing all the time right now. But if you're finding it's hard and you're feeling overwhelmed, that's the first thing to do. Turn off Facebook, turn off Twitter, turn off Instagram, delete them from your phone if you need to. Give yourself a week. When you come back, I assure you that platform is still going to be there, humming right along. <laughs> and choose what you're going to watch and how much television you're going to watch. Maybe having it on all day isn't helping you. Maybe having the news on even for an hour of day is too much for you. You might have to read news instead of watch it on television. Those two things are very different sensibilities and we can react very differently to the video, to the video images that are coming to us than we do to the written word. Learning how you respond to things be very important in a time like this. Agreed. Karen, thank you so much for being here today. This was so informative and interesting. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Allison. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for listening, and thanks to my guest, Karen Elliott. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share. For more information and resources on the topics discussed in today's episode, please visit our website, anxietyintheartist.com. 
In the meantime, be healthy and stay creative. Anxiety and the Artist is produced by Groster Productions and recorded at Homestead Studios. Music and engineering is by Bosco Chef. This podcast represents the opinions of Allison Chef and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. <laughs>